Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello, and welcome to another chapter of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, your host today, and I'm here with the author of a really fantastic new middle grade graphic novel. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Yeah, my name is Zach Wienersmith. I wrote uh, a book called Bee Wolf, which is a sort of kids adaptation of Beowulf. Mm. It's so much fun, and I'm so glad we get to talk about it today, but I was wondering if we could start with a kind of wider question about your work in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a very uh, accomplished webcomic creator in addition to these print comics and graphic novels you've done, um, and I'm wondering, um, how was working in webcomics different from doing something like this? And on the other hand, was there anything from like your webcomics past that you took into working on these like, um, you know, full length graphic novels? Sure. Uh, you know, it's 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 very different, I would say, uh, for, for two reasons, one of which is one of the bad things about doing webcomics is there's this instant gratification aspect. I think you're, you're probably a little too close to your audience mm-hmm. um, for uh, too close for, for art's sake. Uh, but um, but uh it's a good learning environment, but maybe not great uh, for for developing positive habits. Whereas, you know, a graphic novel, you you know, a short graphic novel is still two hundred pages, and so it takes you know a lot of your a lot of your whole career is spent on a single book, and then and worse, you finish it and then you wait uh, while all the wheels turn, you know. And so, uh, it's it's kind of um, it, it's sort of more gratifying in a way, but it's also more nerve wracking because you're just, you you know, it's it's all out there at once. Like if, if I put out a, a joke that nobody likes, you know, tomorrow something else goes up. Whereas this is kind of like, I'm just, you, you just wait to see what people think of this thing you worked on for years. Mm. Um, but, uh, but it's also, this is the, the other big difference is, you know, the, although this is changing, but web comics, at least when I got into it, it was very like, um, it was all small business, you know, self-published stuff. And, and whereas this is traditional publishing, which has its own kind of differences. There's a lot more um, editorial stuff and a lot, you know, just serve a lot more process to it, which is, you know, a, you know, good and bad. I, I, mostly good, I would actually say, although complicated. Um, but yeah, different, but, but, but good. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, two of the things you said. So one, um, the closeness to the audience in web comics, that's a super interesting point. And it is really weird, I think, to be working on something ongoing and have people reacting to it as you're working on it, you know, like it really yeah. changes the creative process as opposed to yeah. like working on something in isolation and then getting the reactions. Um, and in terms of process, like you were talking about, would you say that there are also um, more voices involved when you're working with the press like this, as opposed to sort of the creative control that you have over web comics or? Um, to an extent, I mean, I don't, you know, there, there's this tendency to like, I think, especially in the early days of webcomics, there was a kind of like anti any sort of order to anything view. And, but the truth is like, like, I, I think you're doing like, even if you're self-publishing you, if you can, you ought to hire like a copy editor and an editor because like it, it is very easy to get in your own head too much. Um, there, there's a kind of balance to be sought, uh, at least in my experience with traditional publishing. Um, with, with this book, actually, there was, there was a very light hand from the editor. I mean, it was always my, my, my uh, two different editors. My, my main editor was Callista Brill and then Alex Liu came in. 
uh, uh, later in the process. Um, but but so but but Callista, I know from earlier projects, we're kind of friends, and there's and and uh, and so I, I actually think there 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 are a couple of big places where she suggested changes that I think really improved the book. Um, so it's it's kind of valuable to have a person who is like cares about the book a lot, not just because you know they they picked it up, but also because like their career is like you know on the same boat as yours now uh and and so um so it, yeah more voices but it's not as it's not like a movie where there are a lot of voices that can like ruin something like more voices that are thoughtful i would say mm -hmm. so just more collaborative kind of generally i guess right I, it's yeah i i would say yeah i mean i i mean i i could be a little biased because i'm in the weird position of being a guy who got into traditional publishing late in his career so i'm a kind of established quantity so I, it's possible i have a little more say over my my thing than than, than you would if you were like 22 and, and really needed the deal mm -hmm. oh interesting um so let's move on to the middle grade comics that you've worked on this is not your first middle grade work inspired by medieval literature um <laughs> Augie and the Great Knight, which is also so much fun and such a great adaptation. And I'm wondering what drew you to medieval literature as a source for um, this kind of storytelling? I uh, I have um, I have this reputation as a science guy, and I, do, I actually do have a popular science book coming out this winter. But I I am I have a literature degree. I'm I'm a uh, it's, it's it's a different type of nerd, you know. Um, <laughs> and but the you know my view of it is. Uh, you know, I like modern literature. I'm not a kind of knee-jerk old books snob. I, oh, my, my wife and I disagree about that. But um, but like there is this kind of trove of these wonderful old stories uh, that, you know, it, I mean, Beowulf is a little different because there, there is a real market for Beowulf. Like a lot of people, for whatever reason, that particular medieval story has 80. I, I think I read in a book, there's like two adaptations per year. Not two adaptations, sorry, two translations per year. Wow. But um yeah right right and and that's that's like a modern phenomenon this this manuscript has been around for almost a thousand years but the the popularity i think is post tolkien and then really post haney james haney um but but you know there are like you know like like gawain and the green knight i know there was a movie i haven't seen it but but um that one's a little more obscure and then if you get below that uh, it gets really weird um like i actually there, there's an element in beowulf i actually took from a different story, which is now a very offensive story, appropriately, but it's um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on that. Uh, Constantine, which is um, uh, the story about like this guy who goes, you know, Constantine goes into battle and he has a vision of the true cross and then he goes seeking it and it's this beautiful story, except it's extremely anti-Semitic toward the end. Uh, and I'm 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 Jewish, so I feel comfortable talking about this, but like you know, it's it is a little like, well, why couldn't he fight a dragon or something? Um, <laughs> but yeah. but but. You know, uh, we have a lot of distance on it, and the, the poetry is just genuinely beautiful. And so, my view of it is, you know, when you have this sort of problematical material, the thing to do is to steal the good stuff um, mm. out of it. Uh, but, but so, yeah, there are all these old, wonderful medieval stories, and they're just—they're actually good. There's not—they're not like teacher wagging her finger or his finger at you. Good, they're like actually good. Uh, you know, these were things people sat around telling to each other. Um, you know, some of it is a little inscrutable, but a lot of it is just astonishingly amazing. I mean, like, I well, as you know, like, like going to the Green Nineties that way. It's this like incredibly weird, uh, compelling sort of uncanny story, and you, it's, it's it's hard to make sense of it. But but that's kind of part of the fun, similar to Beowulf. <clears throat> That's such a good point. And I think that like the public view of medieval literature is that it must be like very dry and very uh, right. 
uh, you know, puritanical for lack of a better word, even though that's anachronistic, but like, it's actually super weird, as you say, like a lot of it's very surreal. A lot of it is mm-hmm. very like, um, almost like laughably bizarre you know there's like a lot of very strange stuff in there and I think that probably appeals to kids a lot like that's sort of like dream logic and the just the general weirdness that runs through it um the green knight in particular is so good um because I just it's a great main character and I think that Gawain probably translates to sort of like kid morality pretty well like what 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 made you want to you know tell that story for children uh I, you know, I, th- I think what I like about that story in particular, uh, there's a couple elements that are neat in 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 in, in that story, which is one, as you say, there's this kind of dream quality where like this, you know, this this weird figure shows up and just uh, is like, go ahead and cut off my head. And, and, and everybody's scared to do it. And there's these kind of like, as you say, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I my view is if you want to read really boring literature, go to like the 17th century. Then, then then you're being made to like read the Fairy Queen and this like you know what what the heck is going on type of stuff. But like these old stories, like they're weird, but they're weird in a like kind of funny way, and the characters can be kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. And so it is this weird like you know, there's this giant. He's gonna is like wants to cut off someone's head, and he says, "Somebody go first and cut off mine," which is this like it's like the setup to a joke. But then when he does it, the guy actually cuts off his head and the giant is like, all right, see you in a year. That's such a wonderful setup to a story. It's like, how is this going to work out? And and then the way it does work out is actually very, you know, uh, sort of suspenseful and interesting and and and, and, and in a way kind of poignant because it has to do with these sort of like, what kind of a man are you uh, aspect, which is, you know, and um, and as you say, the kind of kid morality aspect, there's this kind of like, I'm doing it because there's a rule. I like I said I would do it. So I have to do it even if it's crazy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so it's just like, like, like I said, if you want a boring story, read read, read the 17th century, read, read these horrible court poets, you know, but like, I mean, I like them too. But like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, like, like medieval stuff is very wet. It's very, you know, I, I was just reading um, Flavor's Beowulf is like the definitive, like, you know, grad students have to read it Beowulf book and they're talking about you know sources for Beowulf and we don't know what they are but there are a lot of guesses and one of the Celtic sources maybe is there's this old genre of stories where people are like in a house doing stuff and a giant hand comes in and I feel like as you're an adult you're like what do you mean a hand you know but to a kid that's like yeah that's terrifying there's just a giant hand the, a kid will not be like why was there a giant hand they're like oh my god how do we deal with the giant hand you know yes. <laughs> yep uh that's such a good point and it does like it does to me that points out like a straight line between medieval literature and like Monty Python, you know, like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. like that bizarreness was always there. Um, and something I think that these books do so well is, um, yeah, like draw the sort of like parallels between like, you know, warrior culture and kid culture. Cause yeah. I was thinking as you were talking that like, you know, in both those cultures, like promises are super important and like sacrosanct, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I was just talking to someone about this. Like, so, you know, there are like a lot of, to kind of make Beowulf into a cool modern story and I always feel like it just kind of doesn't work and, and in part because of what you're talking about which is like so if you remember the opening of Beowulf it's about these these spear Danes and this guy named Shield Shaving and they just kind of go around basically beating people up and taking their stuff and as a modern person you're waiting for the kind of like this was bad of them right and no <laughs> it's like no it was great and then but then at the same time there's this other element, which is like, you can go around beating up people and taking their stuff, but you have got to share it. Like there, there, there are stories within the story that are all about like the bad guy who didn't share. Uh, and, and so it's like, it's, 
like a modern morality is much more universalized, which I think is good. I'm not opposed to that, you know, <laughs> but like the, 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 this warrior morality is a little more like, you know, like I, I think the, the modern moral sense is more like do good to everybody if you can, as opposed to do good to friends, do bad to enemies. Uh, and the, but but this old warrior view is, is do bad to enemies is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think for a kid, that's a big thing. This kind of like, you know, uh, we, we have people who are against us. And we have to stop them. But I am very concerned with whether we're all sharing. Mm -hmm. um, that's it's a very kid way to feel about the world. And so it just maps very nicely um, to, to kid life. I mean, I didn't I didn't go nuts. I feel like the kids in this story are not bullies. I, I didn't feel like I could go there. I didn't want to. But but there is this kind of similarity there. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the beginning of the book. Um, and something that I would love to talk about is the language. Um, because first, you know, first off, like you, like the first page is like a translation of the first word, uh, you know, of Beowulf. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> yeah. like, Beowulf starts with huit, which I, you know, I've been studying this for years and I still don't know if I said it right. And you yeah. translate it as, hey, wait, which is such a great kid phrase and also just a great <laughs> way to start a story. And um, like, what was your, like, as you were working on this story, like, what was your relationship to the original text? Like, are there moments where like that you were doing direct kind of translation or was it looser in places yeah. or it's um what i tried to do so i i did i you know i i have i have like a collection of of, of translations and i was i'm trying to basically go line by line but but i don't translate or anything like that i was trying to do like what 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 is trying to figure out the sense of of why something happens in the story and then convert it to this kid thing so like the opening you're right it is it is it is the, basically the same opening <clears throat> In the opening of Beowulf is basically there's a there's this orphan and he sort of starts a lineage of chiefs and it culminates in the death of uh, the, the, the that that orphan in old age and he has a sort of glorious burial and then you get this kind of lineage and it's all good kings you know it's another like anti modern thing in the modern story you're expecting the bad king to come along but there is no bad king this is just the kind of glorious you know lineage. And but you can't you can't really do that with kids because kids don't have kids. Right. They, you know, they, 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 uh, <laughs> so. So, you know, um, but what it but what my view of what is what it was essentially doing. Is, what is, so you ask yourself, what is this scene doing? And it's basically just kind of like, you know, setting up. There was this there were these great people in this great place. And 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 I also I felt like I had to do a little something extra because if you're if you're you know if, if it's like the the seventh century or whatever and someone is telling you Beowulf you're kind of familiar you're pro well we don't know that but you're probably kind of familiar with like sort of how primogeniture works and that kind of thing but you know my setting is new so I had to kind of like establish a mood um, and a, and a sort of tone so like it, it is telling that story but instead it's kind of like here are some kids who were really great kids in the past and and the point is that like it's it's like so the opening of Beowulf like it's a culture hero story so it's like here's some great people why were they great because they followed our culture uh and and so it's doing that so what the kids do is they basically get away with stuff they whine until they get their way and they they mess things up and they don't help clean and they they, they just do sort of glorious kids things you know and so that's that's what i mean that's not it's not a translation or anything like that but it's a kind of sense adaptation of, of what that scene was was trying to do Nice. That's a really cool way of putting it, a sense adaptation. Yeah, because it does hit the mood and like the um, the mise-en-scene, I guess, of like that opening scene and mm -hmm. sets up the society. Um, and it really does speak to actually like how, you know, 
warrior lords like established power like they just like got a lot of gold and then they distributed it to people and then those people followed them you know and that's yeah. like <laughs> yeah no it is I, mean, I was just trying to talk about the, there's there's this story within the story which i think must have been important because it's told i think at least twice which is this bad king named Haramon. and one a, literally at one point when it's describing like his badness says he had like bracelets and he would not share them you know i mean it's like it's very maps very nicely to kids i mean but, but that's like the point is like it's, it's i mean you know it's, this is something like gang culture it's it's just a sort of you know you you follow the guy who's powerful but he has obligations too and when he doesn't meet them bad things happen yes oh god i love it it's so great um <laughs> So one of the things that I love too is like what, you know, because we haven't talked about like the monsters yet or the antagonists. Yeah. And I think it ties into like, um, you know, as you were telling the story of this orphan king and like, you know, like death for him, like his sort of like passing from the kingship is becoming a teenager, you know, like growing yeah, up yeah. and like <laughs> not being a kid anymore. And in a way, like the monster of this book is like adults, adulthoods, yeah. you know, and it is kind of like the most monstrous thing that a kid can imagine, you know, because from a yeah. perspective, and then even from an adult perspective, like adulthood's not fun, you know, so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's funny. So I had this idea, like the, the original idea was just, could you adapt Beowulf for kids? Because I, I love this story. And then I, I thought, oh, excuse me, you know, there's this, um, you know, there, there, there are elements that obviously map nicely, which is like to a kid, it's very visceral to think. I mean, Beowulf is basically a story at least approximately about we had this really good thing going on and this monster ruined it. That's like the baseline story for the setup anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that's very good for a kid. But then I was like, but most of the story is like people getting killed or at least a lot of the you know big moments of all people getting killed, like eaten, like it's really horrifying. And so obviously you can't do that for uh, for little children. Um, and then I, I so it occurred to me that like, well, they could get turned into an adults. And then that, that turned out to be very rich. Because one, it's just kind of funny, the idea of like a kid, like to a kid, like that is death, you know, like, and 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 so if people haven't read the book, the way the way I try to portray it is not that like adulthood is like being a, a, a monster exactly. The monstrousness is just that they're kind of like ghosts in, in the sense of like they just care about their mortgage and the news and they're eating plain yogurt. And it's just like, oh, God, everything that was wonderful is gone from them. Um <laughs> And, and, and so I, I hope that's, you know, I hope that's clear that, you know, it's like I'm making fun of myself because I, I care about my mortgage and, and, and saving for retirement, all this horrible stuff that we have to do as adults um, that interferes with all the good stuff, you know? And, and so, but what's fun is for me, what's fun about that is it kind of works. If I did it right, it works on two levels, which is one, it's just kind of funny. And I think the kid gets that it's an insult to the adult who's hopefully reading it with them. But then also, I mean, I think the most kind of naive reading of Beowulf, which I, I like to think is the correct one, of course we don't know, and there are different views of it, but is that it's basically a story about mortality or time or dying, they're kind of all the same thing, right? And so, you know, in Beowulf, it really looms, the original one, like one of the weird things in the story that we don't really do in storytelling anymore is the the, the poet will tell you who's going to die before they die. Um, it'll be like, but he didn't know he was going to die in a minute, hold on. Which is really weird, you know. Like you can't imagine that in a Superman movie, like the narrator popping in to be like, "By the way, uh, you know, the Lex Luthor's going to lose in about four minutes," uh, you know. But, <laughs> but 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 it ties into this kind of overall tone of like everything is just sort of faded, and you have to live with it, and and tough noogies. Mm -hmm. um, and so it allows, I hope, that the story to have this kind of like extra level of like, well, this is a kind of like you know thinking about you know it is kind of wonderful to be a kid. It does kind of suck to not like 
I mean, every every person over a certain age has had this experience of like, why is it that when I lie down to bed, I can't imagine myself into another universe like I used to be able to. Yeah. It used to be so easy. It was like an accident. I could not do it. Now I gotta, I have to like focus, and I, 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 I start thinking about uh, the stock market or, or like you know, a four hundred one k or, and I just can't not. It's horrible. Um, yeah, I know it's just terrible. And so, like, kind of presenting that as. As like this death, and the one the, the thing can I brag on my artist? I have the best artist in the world, Boulay is, mm-hmm. and he did this wonderful thing. I don't even know that this was intentional. There's a scene where 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 Beowulf actually fights real monsters that are like trying to kill her. But what's funny is they're kind of cute, <laughs> and, the, and so that kind of leaves emotional room for the like actual monster to be the adults. Like the the only scene, scenes I think that are really kind of terrifying are the ones where the adults or the, like the, the monsters, they're trying to turn the kids into adults. So there won't be kids anymore. Mm. Uh, yeah. That is so true um, because <laughs> I would love to talk about working with Boulay because the art is great. And, you know, like in that opening story, there is a scene where like all the adults are hovering over um, the little orphan King and they're holding like, you know, college funds and like pictures of stock trends and stuff like that. And uh, it's a terrifying picture. And like (laughs) the art is so expressive and the adults are so menacing over this little kid. Like, what was it like working with this artist? And like, how did the art, you know, like how did that, that aspect of it add to like how you imagine the story, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, uh, Boulay was my top choice. Uh, you know, so so I, what happened this is a, a sort of weird process for this. So um, I wrote it out in like just on a document. It's like a poem. I mean, it's just it's just like a column of words. I had maybe I think at most 10 notes on it. Like, here's who's talking here, stuff like that. Nothing too detailed. Because and so my view is just like, you know, yeah, so, so I, I sent it to him and he liked it. So we ended up working together, which is great. And, and my view is if you're working with someone like Boulay, who I, I you know, I, I, I genuinely view is as, as good as you can be in cartooning, like the, the just, you know, the combination of technical skill and kind of mood setting and setting time and that stuff. There's, there's, I, I would say you might say someone is as good as him. Nobody I, I could think of as better. And when you have someone like that, I think you should uh, give them as much creative room as you dare um, because what happens is they come up with stuff. And so, <clears throat> like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't written in that the monster should be less scary than Grindel, the, the, the adult, but like it's in there and it's just so perfect. Um, but like, I'll give you an example. So, you know, I, I am also an illustrator. I'm, I, I'm capable of having illustrated this book, not as well as Gilles, as, as Boulay, but like, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So there's a part at the beginning where you you know you hear this story of the orphan kid who found all this gold and, and did all this stuff, and then at the end there's a he basically dies. I mean he doesn't literally die, but there's a, a funeral funeral for his childhood, and you see him as a teenager after that. And I think if I had drawn it, I would have made him kind of gross and you know kind of nasty and pathetic. And you made him sort of like a dapper little handsome guy, you know, like with, with a little. You know, teenagery hobbledehoyness. You know, he does have like fuzzy chin hair or whatever. But like, it was very gentle mm-hmm. in a way I didn't think I would have been. And I, I feel like that that added a kind of nice something to it. Like it wasn't just this kind of like mean mocking tone. I mean, we do that a little in the in the fight with the teenagers later, where it's more appropriate. But I think it also adds to the kind of like mortality aspect because it's like it's, you know they they've moved on to this world where they care about like their phone and what peers think of them and 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 so. 
but that was all him. There was, there was no note for me. And I think I would have done it worse, not just on, on technical grounds, but we've gotten the mood not as not as good as he did. He, he really gave this kind of gentleness that was, was very nice, gave it some depth. Oh, that's so cool. You know, and I think that like, it's very interesting in having worked with an artist who was, you know, creating images based on my words. Like it is um, yeah. like the, the binary between like writer and artist, like is not quite as clear as it probably sounds yeah. you know, like when they're credited differently, because like oftentimes like my writing, uh, my creative partner, Sophie would like, when she's doing a panel would like put in a little sight gag that I never yeah. even thought of that I wouldn't have dreamt of in a million years. And I'm like, that is, that's writing too, you know, like you're, you're yeah. like, it totally is. Yeah. It, I mean, brain and translating it to the image, but you know, like it's, it's a lot more collaborative than I think yeah. like it might appear, you know, when you're looking at the credits on the, on the inside cover. Uh, yeah. I know. I, I had the exact same primer, you know, thing. Is there something like, is there something we could call him other than illustrator? Like I think in a, in a, in a fair world, he would be called something like director. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, Cause they, it, it is more like that. Like as a, as a writer, I mean, so I know there are some writers who really like to be like, Panel three, low angle. He says this, and that's fine. Um, but but you know, I I'm just one. I'm just not that. You know, that's not my style. But also, like I said, like I'll, I'll give you the other example is something really. Uh, I actually rewrote around a change he made in one place, which was um, you know, the original story. Grendel attacks Grendel attacks twice, uh, and I actually missed it. I think when I the first time I read it, but I was reading it very carefully for this, and it's actually very moody because it you know it, it really adds this level of desperation because it's like the monster fought us when we didn't expect it and we got beat and then we we kind of got back together to fight him and then still got whooped and then so it's like that's how you know from a story perspective that everything is helpless mm-hmm. and so i put that in and in my original version he, the the grindle just attacks twice but but we changed it well it didn't change it but like he drew the first one is a little more sneaky less aggressive and so I actually rewrote around that because it was kind of cool. So now it's this kind of like horrible nightmare. Everyone's asleep and he just comes in and takes their childhoods, you know, but then, and then, and then you get this nice next scene, which is all the kids prepare to fight. And then they still lose just as hard. And that's why it's so hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was all him. I had, I had, I had not thought to do it that way. And when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, this is so obviously better. Um, and so I actually rewrote the words to accommodate that, to make it the, the original one more sneaky sounding. Ooh, that's cool. And like, let's talk about the words, you know, because you capture like the the rhythm and the sound of the old English text really well. And a lot of that is by the way that you use like medieval poetic techniques. It's like you use um, the alliteration and the compound words, you know, yeah. and um, what's the other one that I wanted to bring? Oh, and all the yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. can you talk about like how you used these aspects of the original medieval poetry and turned that into poetry for kids yeah 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 so so uh, you know to be clear it's not a um it's not a high fidelity adaptation of medieval sounds although in places it is but it so like basically because it, it i think it would be almost in, i talk about this a little in the back matter i think if, if, I, if I did it in a very strict you know, short clip alliterative lines, it would be almost inscrutable to a kid. And so I, I did lengthen out the lines. I did compensate for that by adding, I, I alliterate a little more than an, an old English poet would have. Um, but, but yeah, I did, I did go for capturing the sound and the, the, the you know, the, the sound of Beowulf, I, I, I know that so the opening in old English goes flat. And you can hear that pounding uh, alliterative noise. So even if you don't, even if you don't notice, hear it, you hear that it sounds like chanting. Um, 
and and it's just wonderful. It, it's just wonderful to to hear it. It just has a, a a nice sound. It's very different from like reading Alexander Pope write couplets or something, which is a little more fancy, you know. Which I like too. And and actually, Pope drops into these alliterative tricks himself at times, but it's just a different sort of thing. And um, and so I wanted to have that partially just because like it's cool, you know. My view is like I'm I'm. You know, I, I I believe in not talking down to kids, but I don't actually care about it that much. What I believe in is sharing with kids because I like this stuff. It's all selfish for me. Uh, <laughs> I want them to be like me so we can do this together. This is objectively good stuff. And so the other elements were, <clears throat> in addition to the alliteration and the, I, tr I tried to do the other thing that Old English poetry does is there's what's called a breath gate, which is a kind of pause in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you you can hear it in in in, in uh, well there's a famous line I, I'll probably get it wrong because I don't speak Old English but like when it describes you know, the, the line is Grindle went down bearing God's ire but in Old English it's Grindle gong gun there's a pause God is eager bear something like that and you can you get that pause and and then you alliterate after it if you can and it's just this wonderful sound that's what gives it this like clanging sound and so I I tried really hard to duplicate that noise. Um, mm -hmm. The, the other thing I did, I have, a, I have a couple other tricks I did. I, I did, um, so I did, as you say, there are these little compound phrases. Um, and in some places, so, so when, when in one of the games that are played in, in, in the original Beowulf are these these compound phrases. So like battle adder, what does that mean? It means arrow, you know, uh, you know the famous ones are like whale road means the sea. And I, I put in a couple myself, uh, some I stole. I said shoreless sea for sky, which I believe is in the original. Mm -hmm. But I made up one, I made up sliding sea for a river, which I like because it sounds like a kid thing. Um, so that's fun. And I, I found, it, you know, at least on my daughter, uh, and this is risky because my daughter's kind of a dorkwad. So hopefully other kids are dorky enough too. Um, <laughs> but they, they like it because there's a kind of riddling aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, and it also just sounds cool. I, I start calling this this character is a kind of compound of several characters in the story named Wendy, who just is always kind of defending the hall and watching out for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I referred to it as Roger's shield, Roger's, Roger's the king. Uh, and a kid, that's very natural for a kid. And it's very sort of empowering sounding, mm -hmm. you know, like I am his shield. Like there's no kind of, there's no simile. I am the shield, you know, and it, it's just very cool for a kid. Um, yeah. Then I, I found that I, I explained this idea to my daughter and she started making them up for things in her life. And it's, it's just, it's in that cute. Yeah. I love uh, it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's like, again, it's not like it's not like I had to wag my finger over it. This is just fun. Um, and the other thing I did, which there's, there's a couple more subtle things. One is I, I strictly avoided, I'm not strictly because I couldn't everywhere, uh, but words derived from Latin or French, I tried to avoid them. There, they, there were a couple of places where I just felt like I couldn't. Um, but you want you want words that are like, you know, like like have a lot of consonants and just have a sort of thrust to them. Thrust is a good one. Right. Mm. Um so like, as opposed to like, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to think of an example offhand, but, uh, but, but, you know, like, like, like when you start coming in with like Latinate words, these multi-syllables and not a lot of consonants, I think it kind of, the, the only places you'll actually see me do it, there are a couple of places where I'm speaking in adult voice where like, for example, it says something like, strictly speaking, they were plugged into his power source or something. And then, and then I will allow in the Latin words because it's supposed to sound bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, I tried to keep it cute. Right. Uh, so, you know, um. So like 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 uh, um, you know so so when you, when you use these nice words that we've had in the, our language for you know over a thousand years and then you mush them together like there's a part I was very happy with where I was talking about how the kids were having a party after winning and the phrase was something like laughter cartwheeled that's all old English words you know and 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 it works and and you can hear it doesn't 
I mean, I, I love French. It's a beautiful language. I speak a little bit of it, uh, but but it has a different sound. Um, and and so I tried to, it's a little hard in English because English is, you know, like 20% French and there's a lot of Greek and Latin there, but you can avoid those words and it gives it this kind of meaty sound, yes. um, which I think is nice. That is so cool. Like, I really, I really love the way that language is used here. And it's, I think it's just going to be very interesting for kids to read too. Um, before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about B herself, because we you mentioned your daughter and I know that your daughter is wrapped up in reasons why you have chosen a female protagonist. So can you talk a little bit about where she came from? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you know, it helps that B is the right name. Um, but I, honestly, I, I think I feel like in this book, I didn't think about it too hard, but what I did try to do... <clears throat> is that Beowulf has kind of like typically feminine emblems on her, but they're kind of, what I try to do is that that's part of the show. That's like not a kind of like, I overcame this. That's it's none of that. It's just kind of like, 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 like the way kids do, they just wear what they want to wear and they do what they want to do. And it's just, it's just who she is. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's funny when it, back when I did Augie and the Greek Knight, it felt like it was a little bit of a novelty to put a kind of like, risk-taking girl on an adventure in a story. And now I think that's actually not as big a deal anymore. Like my daughter reads Endless Ursula Vernon, which all, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good young female lead stories. When I say good, I mean that it's like um, taking risks and not being Hermione Granger. Not that everybody, you know, somebody's got to be Hermione Granger, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sure. um, and, and just, just a lot, it's a really great time for kids literature, actually. And so I, I, um, I, I remember thinking about it much more consciously with that book. And this one, I was just kind of like a little, I guess more focused on the story. <laughs> Excuse me. But I do, you know, I do like having that for, for my daughter. And I remember seeing, you know, I forget what they do in the original book, but they, I, I stole a phrase from Beowulf and modified it. And the, the phrase in my book is something like, you know, she had the strength of 60 kids in each hand. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and I remember telling my daughter that she just ate it up. She was like literally bawling her fists like, Yes um and uh, so there is this kind of empowering quality to it uh but but um i like i said i, I had more theory about it with the last book and i actually think the environment has just gotten so much better i'm sure you've noticed that like in the last 10 years it's so much easier to find really good stuff oh gosh absolutely you know and like in in general i think for girls and children's lit there's been a really interesting arc because like in the 80s like there was a lot more um like gender neutral stuff than there is currently yeah. you know? like legos weren't marketed to like boys and girls differently stuff like that and then i guess in the era of like a lot of like toy advertising things got like super gendered for a yeah. while you know like really girly toys and really boyish toys but like that divide is kind of breaking down again and so like B is so great because she she is like a throwback, I think, to those 80s kids, too, you know, like who were just like feral in the woods, you know, and like <laughs> not super concerned about like gender or like, yeah. you know, like how they, you know, how they thought others perceived them, you know. So and that, that's really great, too, I think. Yeah, I, I have something, something that really flipped my switch on this years ago was I had done, I can't remember what comic I did. But it was, it, was, it was something like talking about this stuff. And I remember I had a woman wrote me uh, kind of half complaining, half just talking. And she said, you know, that, that she didn't like a tendency in literature to kind of denigrate girly stuff. She was like, I'm a mathematician and I like girly stuff and that's fine. And I was like, that's fine. You're right. That's good. That's a very good point. So I, I tried to ever since be like, there's this tendency to always want to put the like girls in pants 
and make sure they can't have any sort of like prototypically girly stuff. But I feel like as long as you, you know, there's a fine line, I guess, but it's just kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because being a girl in that period, you know, like you didn't pick things because they were girlish or boyish, you know, right. you pick things because they were cool, you know, and they're awesome. You'd, yeah. You'd go out in like a tutu yeah. and combat boots, you know, and that's like absolutely a valid choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, Leia is super into that because one of my favorite things about his art, you look at every single background character, they look like they're up to something. There's no generic kids in this story. Even, even kids who don't talk, they're only there for a panel. And it's that thing you're talking about. He was talking about, he's really into this thing, this thing kids do. My daughter still does this. She's starting to get out of it, which is terrible. But that like, yeah, I am going to wear a tutu and a Viking helmet. And there's no kind of like, I'm doing something funny. It's just like, everything is good. And together it is, it is cumulative. And there is, you know, there's no sense that one thing might detract from another. It's all great when you're a kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. And um, do you think that you'll ever return to medieval literature as a source for your stories? Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 uh, depends on sales. So like, as you might imagine, it's you know, you don't always you don't you don't just get to write a 600 line unrhymed poem for children. Um, uh, but actually, we're, we're, we're doing better than we expected on this book in terms of people wanting to talk about it and buy it for libraries and stuff. So so my hope so this story takes you up through you know, the fight with uh, the monster, which is in the original about 40% of the story. So I would, I would, you know, if this does well, I'd love to finish the whole thing out. And then as you, as you say, there are a bunch of other stories. Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, Gawain and the Green Knight and Beowulf are maybe the very best, but there's, there's so much good stuff and moody stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to, I, I would love to, so I, I, I would love to go to it over and over and over if, if, if the public will let me get away with it. That's, that's the open <laughs> question. Amazing. Well, I will, you know, be sure to proselytize it to medieval Twitter, <laughs> all of the medievalists in my circle. Um, thank you so much for writing it and for coming to yeah. talk to us about it. Like I've had a great time talking to you and I really hope everybody goes out and gets this and we get to hear much more about these adventures <laughs> and other yeah. medievalist kids. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Thank you very much. No problem. All right, listeners. So as of the airing of this episode, you will be able to pick up Be Wolf at your nearest independent bookstore or comic book store or library, wherever you end up that day. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This has been Jen in conversation with Zach Wienersmith, and it is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.